Thanks, Chantel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer if we might. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather in this place under your name, in your presence. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is here among us to speak and to minister into our hearts and our minds. And we just now invite you, Christ, through your Spirit to to have your way with us, Lord. Just really share with us what we need to hear, encourage us, inspire us, challenge us, convict us. But we give you this time now, Lord, as we have through the whole service, and we just ask you, Christ, to be lifted up and glorified. Remove me, Lord, but use me for your glory today. Thank you, Christ. We love you. Amen. So we've been going through for quite a while this idea of your kingdom come. What does it mean when we pray this prayer that that Christ told us to pray and we say your kingdom come? And we've been looking over many weeks around this idea and we got to the end of it looking at a kingdom community. And then at the very end of that, we've been looking at how a kingdom community should take the kingdom into the community. In other words, how do we as Christians go out into a world and represent Christ? Because in Corinthians we are told that we are ambassadors. We're ambassadors of Christ. That means we represent him in our everyday life. And as we go out into the world, we have to understand that as an ambassador, we have a privilege and honor and opportunity to display the glory of God through the Son into those around us as we go in everyday life. And as we come to the end of this passage in Colossians, as Chantel shared, we've been looking at this particular text over several weeks We looked around a few key things in this text. First of all, if we're going to be ambassadors that go out into the world and really represent Christ, we need to go with prayer. As you see in verse 2 and 3, or really verse 2 in the beginning of verse 3, he talks about that we need to continue earnestly, which means be devoted to prayer. Be a person who's devoted and watchful and thankful and partnering with one another all in prayer because if we're going to really go and represent Christ, we need to be people who are connected to Christ. It's hard to represent someone if you don't really know them that well. And it's hard to represent them if you don't know what they're about and what their desire and what their heart is. So this prayer helps us to not only know God, but to know his heart, to know his will, and to know his way. So we go with prayer, but we also, as Paul moves on in this text in Colossians 4, we talked about last week, go with passion. And this idea of passion is that Paul had a passion for the gospel, the message that Christ loves you, he died for you, he gave his life to set you free from a sin nature, to release you from that and invite you in to a relationship with the Father, becoming part of the kingdom of God through the forgiveness of your sins through faith. The gospel message that you can be redeemed, restored to being part of the kingdom which you were created for and repurposed to bring glory to God the Father. So we have this passion for the gospel and Paul's passion was for people to know that they could be forgiven and set free from a life of sin. And we all know, beloved, that sin is is rampant in every one of our lives. It's there. It's real. But Christ came to set us free of that and to give us the Holy Spirit who then helps us to make choices that are much different to the flesh. But if that's our passion, the thing we want to talk about today is what happens or what Paul says in verses 5 and 6. If you look in verse 5 and 6, he says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. 
We go with purpose. As an ambassador, as a representation of Christ, we go out of prayer, we go out of a passion, but that passion leads us into a purpose. Here's what I mean by that. If you have a team of any sort, whether it be a sporting team, whether it be a a team in a business that's got an objective, whether it be a team that's come together to plan an event, whatever it might be, these teams have a passion to do something, sporting team to be victorious, to win, unlike my doctors this week, which look really bad. Um, and then you have these teams like that are in business, and they have an objective to sell their product, to, to market in the right way, but to be effective. And then you might have these teams, as I said, that, that plan an event, and their passion is to make sure that event does everything it's supposed to do. It's engaging, it's, it's fun, whatever it is in that event. But you have a team that has a passion to have an, out, an outcome, a goal. But every person in that team has a purpose. That's why they're there. That's why they're part of the team. Not every purpose is exactly the same, but they work together to see the fulfillment of that passion. We as Christians have the same passion. We should. Our passion is for Christ to be displayed and to be proclaimed the gospel hope. That should be our passion. And that's what we talked about last week. How we do that, our purpose as individuals, it might look different, but it has the same goal. And what Paul does in this passage, in this verse five and six, 4 and 5, he really helps us, sorry, 5 and 6, he really helps us understand here are some basic things that are going to help you be purposeful, to help you carry out your purpose, to display the glory of God so that your passion for the gospel is seen and understood. Are you with me? And that's what I want to talk about today. Just understand how we can really be purposeful as ambassadors of Christ. With the prayer life, with the passion for the gospel, that leads us to a purposeful life. And this is what Paul says. First of all, he says, walk. Walk. How we live. That's what the word walk means. When Paul says walk in this way, he's talking about live in this way. Your actions. How you go about everyday life. Why is this important? I love sports. I grew up playing sports. American football was my passion. That really was my passion. My whole childhood, I thought, I'm going to grow up and be an NFL player. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't have the height for it, but but that was my passion, and I loved it. Now, unfortunately, on the football field, I acted much different than I did in normal life. When I stepped on the field, there was this bit of an arrogant, jerky attitude about me. Like, I watch Aussie Rules, and I I watch rugby, and I love the sports, but how, especially in Aussie Rules, you'll just, they'll be out on the field, nothing to be going on. They're getting set up for the next play, and they'll run by, and they'll elbow one of the players. I'd have probably nailed him if it had been me, man. I'm just being honest. That's the kind of person I was, unfortunately. But I wasn't Christian. I was just very immature in many things. And when it came to sports, that was one of those areas. And I can remember this particular game we're playing Salem, an arch rival, kind of across, across town from us, if you will. And I was on the field, man, and, and we were getting at it, and I played linebacker. So I, and I think I've told you guys, some of you, this story anyway. And I was standing there, and I was watching this running back come around the corner, and I went at it, and I just nailed him, man, just laid him out. And I popped up off of him with this attitude, you know. Um, and the referee came up to me, and he put his arm around my shoulder. 
And he said, 33, which was my number. He said, 33, didn't you preach at my church last week? Um, and it just went all over me, man. Oh, yeah, it did. Because I had already surrendered to ministry. I was preaching at youth events and different things my senior year of high school when I was around 17. And, and my point to that is people are watching your life. They're watching what you do. Now, thankfully, in that case, this guy was a Christian. He knows we're not perfect, but he did this nice little gentle rebuke to help set me right in my attitude, even on the football field. But reality, beloved, hear me. Reality is the world out there that doesn't know Jesus, they're not going to have any grace. They don't have any understanding. They want every reason to dispute. Get close and listen. They want every reason to dispute that your faith in Christ is real that Jesus really can do what you're proclaiming he does. So the best thing we have to display that it is truth is how we live our life. Come on, amen? That really is it because they can't dispute what they see happening. If they knew you before you met Jesus and they know you after you met Jesus and your life is totally changed and transformed, they gotta say, man, I don't know what it is, but this guy was like this, but, but now they're like this. There must be something real about their life. It would have been easy for me with that ref that day to come up with every excuse. Oh, well, you know, there's other Christians out there on the field, and they're acting wrong as well, or they're, they're being jerky, or they're doing things. I'm not doing as bad as they are. You ever felt that before when you got convicted of the Holy Spirit? Start trying to justify your actions? This whole study around Sermon on the Mount that our small groups have been going through it's a powerful study because Christ is basically teaching us in that text that you don't go by what the world says. Matter of fact, you don't even go by what religion says. Here is the standard of living that a kingdom person should live by. You read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, if you are a follower of mine, if you are part of the kingdom of God, this is the standard in which you are to live your life. And beloved, it's quite confronting and difficult. But it is true. And it's how we should live our life and not make excuses because the world isn't going to say, oh, well, we'll give them a little grace today. Oswald Chambers had a quote in one of the studies, um, my devotions this week, that I thought was so good. And I just wanted to share it with you. He said, never look for righteousness in the other person, but never cease to be righteous yourself. We're always looking for justice, yet the essence of the Sermon on the Mount is never look for justice, but never cease give it. Let that sink in a minute. We can't look at a world out there and expect them to live Christ-like, but we can't stop living Christ-like just because they're not. We can't demand justice from a world that is unfair and unjust and doesn't care about anything, but we can't do anything less than be just and right if we call ourselves a follower of Christ because we live a life that displays the transformation power of the gospel message. So when he says walk, and that's a huge statement, we need to live a life that is different that says to the world around us, I am a follower of Jesus. And you can see that by my actions. And that's not easy to do. But Paul recognizes that, and he gives us a few key things in this verse to help us understand how we can live purposeful in our everyday living. He says this, first of all, you got to know how to walk. Because he says in the beginning, he says, walk in wisdom, walk in wisdom 
Wisdom. We need to live with wisdom. We need to live. Now, this isn't just this idea of as I get older and I've experienced life, I have wisdom there. There's a certain level of wisdom in that, but the wisdom he's talking about is wisdom of God through prayer, through studying the word, through, through really digging in and, and, and being sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of God in your life. Because every one of us right now probably can say, hey, there's a situation in my life where right now I don't know what to do. And my question is, have you got before God and have you asked him for wisdom? Because James tells us that if you lack wisdom, you're to ask and he'll give it to you liberally. And that's around temptation. I don't want to pull that out of context, but he's talking about, hey, if you're tempted, if you're struggling, ask God for wisdom and he'll give you what you need to overcome it. But that's for anything in life. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. If you don't know if you should take this job or that job, ask God. If you don't know if you should be in this relationship, ask God. If you don't know if you should buy this or don't buy that, ask God. If you don't know how to connect to that person out there that you really feel like you should connect to, why don't you just ask God? Help me. Give me wisdom. For us to live our life as a true ambassador of Christ, we need wisdom. And it only comes from God through his word, through the life and work of Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit leading us to understand those things. When I think about the scripture, one of the individuals who I see that really lived with wisdom was Daniel. When you look back in the Old Testament, Daniel was incredible. And look, he was brought in as a young boy into slavery, and he was picked um, by Nebuchadnezzar, he was going to become one of these chosen slaves. You would, woohoo, how great is that? And he was given all these lavishing foods of the king, but it didn't set right within him. There was something within him that wasn't right. And wisdom got him pressing into God. And God said, no, 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 don't eat that stuff. You eat what you have been told to eat as a follower of mine, and you do all these things. So he said to the, to the um, in-charge eunuch, he said, look, can I just eat this? He's like, I don't know about that. He said, no, look, let me eat this. Okay, if, if I'm not as healthy or strong as they are after this, then whatever. So he went along with it. And he didn't eat all of this stuff of the king. He continued on this diet and continued to press into God. And this wisdom brought him favor. And he was strong and, and fit. And he was above everyone else, kind of like me, you know, really? Maybe not. Um, but he was in that place. And you know the story. He goes on and continues to grow in, in favor within the people and kings change and Darius comes into to power. And then you find this text in Daniel chapter 6. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Dan Daniel was one. So he said, look, here's Darius and he says, man, I'm going to set up some government here. I'm going to have like these mayors, if you will, that are going to be over different cities and different parts. Then I'll have these governors over those mayors. And I've got three of those. And Daniel was one of those. But then it says, um, Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him. He distinguished himself above all these others. Why? What does it say? 
There was an excellent spirit. There was wisdom. The Holy Spirit was leading his life. There was wisdom that he was listening to was in his life. And this excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the king said, this guy, man, he's got some wisdom. He's got some insight. He's got some ability. I think he would be good to be over all the governors even. Well, how do you think the rest of the governors and search ups felt about that? Yeah, not so much. Look at what happens. So the governors and the search reps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they couldn't find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. This guy lived a life that was above reproach with wisdom, integrity, honor, and faithfulness. And everyone took note of it. And there were those who didn't like it and they wanted to get rid of him. So they set up this plan. But when they started looking at his life, they couldn't figure out anything in his life to find fault in. How incredible is that? So as you read in the text, what do they do? The only thing we're going to be able to find is if it's something to do with the way he follows his God, the laws of his God. What a great thing. Be honest. If someone was going to look at my life and say, the only fault we can find is how committed and faithful he is to Jesus. Wow. I'd be okay with that. That's all they could find in Daniel. The reason being, because he pressed in, he embraced the wisdom, the direction, the leadership of God in his life. And he was able to live a life that everyone else looked at and took notice of. He walked in wisdom. I'm not saying that it's easy to live a life of wisdom. But I am saying that it's possible if we will press into God, if we will listen to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we will allow him to lead us through his word and through the example, through scripture, and through the conviction of the Spirit in our life, we can make choices that will line up with his heart, his will, his purpose, and the world will look at us and says, man, I don't know where I can find any problems, but I can tell you one thing I know, that person loves Jesus. I don't know what that means, and I don't know why they do, but they love Jesus. Are you with me? This is how... We are great ambassadors for Christ. When we live a life that has wisdom, wisdom that is led through the Holy Spirit, we not only need to know how to live, but we need to know who to live toward. Look at this next part of the verse. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Some of the translations you have might say to the non-believer or to the unbeliever. This is huge to me. And here's why. I've grown up in church. I've grown up in the Western culture church. And all of my life growing up, what I saw happen so often, and I'm not saying it's true of our church. I don't think it is fully. Certainly we would be this way in some ways probably. But I watched church where people always came together. They came together. They came together. They came together. And that's all church was to them. We come on Sundays. We get together for Bible studies. And that's church. That's what we are. That's not what the scripture says. Life is not about becoming this super theological understanding mind of God. Because what good is being coming together and growing in all our knowledge and relationship with God if no one who doesn't know Christ ever sees it in my life? I'm just being honest with you. 
What good are we if all we do is come and sit on a Sunday and tick the box and go home and then we come together at a Bible study and tick the box? I'm not opposed to these things. I love them. I think they're great. But it's not going to help us if we don't let those things we're learning take us out into community and practice them. Put them into practice. Are you with me? The way I put it, man, it's the only way I know and it's kind of a weird thing, but I call it being spiritually fat. And here's what I mean by that. If you eat and you eat and you eat and you don't exercise, you're going to look like me. I'm a prime example of what that's like. But if you eat and you exercise, those things that you're learning, those things that you're eating become nutrients for the body and they fuel you, fuel you and they make you stronger and more fit and you become better. It's the same spiritually. If we come together and set and we learn these things and we talk about these things, but we don't go practice them, we're just going to get spiritually fat. And the Western church, unfortunately, not all, but many, have prided themselves in that we come to church. We're a great group. But how does that help the people out there know Jesus? Remember last week I talked around this idea of the passion for the gospel and that when you look through Romans, there's certain little key verses that really help you understand the gospel. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, recognizing that we all are sinners, everybody. You with me on that? And then Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, that because of that sin we deserve to die, we deserve punishment. But the gift of God, that verse goes on to say, is eternal life, that Christ paid for that debt on the cross, and he gives us life, freedom. And then I talked out of Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ is Lord, that we shall be saved, that that confession leads unto salvation. Romans 10, around 9, 10, and 11. And then verse 13 of Romans 10 says, um, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, whoever, I remember this as a kid, man, whoever, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. It's truth. But look at verse, what verse 14 and 15 of that same passage says. How then shall they call on him? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, verse 13 says, you shall be saved. But how then can they call on the name of him whom they have not heard or believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who brings glad tidings of good things. When it talks about preacher here, it's not talking about me standing up in front of a group of Christians and talking about the scripture. It's talking about us, everyday life, proclaiming with our life the way we live, the truth of the gospel. Everybody take off your shoes and put up your feet. They're beautiful. Don't really, you don't have to do that. But they're beautiful. What he means is, man, the messenger, the one coming with this message of hope and peace, you're beautiful to those who need it. And every one of you, if you are a follower of Christ, you have the privilege and the honor to live a life because of the Holy Spirit within you that will bring people to a realization that Christ is real. We can't do that if we just come and tick the box on a Sunday and to our connect groups. It's our everyday life. That's why for me and our elders as we talk, our Sundays is about refreshing, encouragement, strength, and supporting one another as Christians so that when we go out in everyday life, we feel like we've got a family that's got our back. 
that's walking with us that we can go and find some rest and encouragement and support from. doesn't mean we don't preach the gospel in here because there are times people come who don't know Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I'm telling you, beloved, he's worth it. Let me introduce you to him. But primarily our Sundays is about encouraging and loving one another as believers so that when you go out there every day, you feel the confidence, the courage, and the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life and the support of the family to be an ambassador for Christ. We have to look at who we are representing and who we're representing them to is to those who are outside, those who don't know Christ. This can be uncomfortable. It can be difficult. I mean, there have been times that I felt God encouraged me to connect to people. And I I have to be honest, I had nothing in common with them. I didn't even know where to start. And I felt really awkward and I felt weird. And I didn't want to do it. And honestly, sometimes I didn't do it. Thanks for grace, Jesus. It was similar to, I remember taking um, one church where I was a pastor. I, I took one of the leaders in the church with me to make a visit in the hospital. He'd never visited anyone in the hospital. I mean, he'd been to the hospital visiting family, but officially visiting someone as a representative of the church, he'd never done that before. I said, well, come on, go with me. We'll do this together. We get there, we walk in to this guy who had had like a triple bypass. He was still, he was better. I mean, he was doing better. The operation was successful, but you could tell he was still in a bit of pain. He still wasn't just in a comfortable place. We go in and he gets on one side and I get on the other and we're just sitting there talking and he was nervous. And as he began to talk, he just started talking about himself. And he went on for 15 minutes talking about himself and nothing else. Like, he just didn't know what else to do. He was uncomfortable. And it was a moment as we left, as we were driving home, I said, how'd you think that went? Oh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I really should have talked about myself. So I said, no, that's probably not really what we're there for. We're there to listen to them and know what's going on with them. But it was an opportunity for him to grow and learn because he was willing to practice something that was needed. You are never going to get comfortable with people that are different than you, that don't know Jesus, if you're not willing to connect to them and have a go at it. And be okay if you don't do it right. I've left conversations thinking, I am such an idiot, God. I can't believe I said that. It happens. But we are the representatives of Christ, and we have to go to the outside world. Those who don't believe, we've got to engage them. We've got to build a relationship. We are not looking in this Western mindset where I grew up anyway. Maybe it's not so here, but I think it is a bit. This whole big suite was if we build it, they'll come. Field of dreams for the church, you know? We build a bigger church, or we build a bigger stage, or we have more musicians, or we have more lights, and we have cooler-looking preachers. That's why you got me, right? Maybe not. Um, we have all these different things. If we build it, they'll come. But that's not biblical. If we go, they might come to Jesus. We don't need them in these walls, man. What we need to build, get with me, is we need to build relationship with people. Not build better services or better buildings, but we need to build relationship with the people who don't know Jesus. Because when we build those relationships, they'll see Christ in us. There's nothing wrong with Sundays. I love them, and There's nothing wrong with having cool, awesome music and, and great preachers. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't build our hope on those things. We build our hope on Jesus. And he says, go, not come. So this is so vital as the people of God. Man, you women who are feeling this stirring to be a part of, of safe haven, I'm praying for you because you talk about a great place 
to live this out. You go build a relationship with some of those women who may have never seen a person of faith live around them. The things they may have heard about Christ or church, they may have such distorted understanding and the way they've been treated and judged. But you have an opportunity to show them Christ by building relationship, loving on them, listening to them, walking with them. And I'm praying for you. What a great opportunity God has put on our doorstep to do these things. Speaking of opportunity, the next point of this verse about how we are to live, we're to live knowing, which is wisdom, and we're to live understanding who, which is this idea of the outsiders, those who are not a part of faith. And this is walking wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity, it might say in your translation. Now, remember earlier in this text, in Colossians 4, Paul is praying, and what does he ask them to pray for? He says, pray for me and pray that what? God will open a door for me to share the word, the mystery of Christ with the Gentiles. He says, if you're going to pray for me, pray that I have an opportunity to share the gospel. And I love it. He follows that up a few verses later, and he says, and guess what? If you're going to pray that, you better be ready to walk through the door because God's going to open the door. He's going to give you the opportunity. We've got to be ready. You got to be ready for that opportunity as it comes along. This is how we live our life. We live our life under the wisdom and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to lead everything we do. We want to be engaged and connected to a world that doesn't know him, and we're wanting to be obedient and walk through those opportunities that are going to help us engage a world that doesn't know him with the wisdom of God so that they will see the glory of God in my life, which is the salvation that's changed me and gives me a new life. Hallelujah. We're ambassadors when we live that way. But there's one more thing he says in this passage in verse 6. Not only how we live, but he says how we speak. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. How many of you have heard, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never harm me? It's funny you say names here. I, I grew up with words. Either way, it's the same. They're both lies because, let's be honest, how many of you have had words said to you and you felt hurt or felt anger or felt sad or felt defeated or deflated because of something someone said? I mean, it's a great little saying, but it's not true. Not in, our, not in our flesh life. And that's why it's important that how we speak to people, it carries weight. Words really do impact our life. Would you agree with that? Sometimes for the good, because if someone looks at you and says, oh, Glenn, you look amazing today, man. Have you been working out or something? I mean, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, look at me, yeah. It changes us, man. When we get positive words, they're for the better. Now, this is an area that I struggle. Not that I don't like to encourage. I love to encourage people. But it's not what I say. It's sometimes how I say it that affects, particularly my family. Like, this has happened a lot, and I still haven't got it right, man. But I can say to my kids, hey, guys, can you pick up your shoes? Especially like Tristan. I said, Tristan, pick up your shoes. Why are you so mad? I'm not mad. I'm not even upset. But the way I said it was perceived as anger or frustration. And I own it. Look, I'm excitable, and I, and I speak very excitingly and passionately. I get that, and that's probably part of it. But I'm having to learn, and I'm not doing well with it, and my kids will amen, but don't you do it, that I still am working on this. 
that I'll say things to them and they'll be like, why are you so upset? Or why are you? And I'm really not, but the way I say it. So we have to be careful on how we speak to others. And Paul gives us two things in this verse to, to help make us aware when we speak of how to do it. First, he says, always be with grace. The way I put that is inviting. We should speak in a way that's inviting. When you speak with grace, one, you're understanding, you're not judgmental, you may not agree, but you're understanding, and you speak with compassion and kindness and gentleness. And my kids are like, well, you don't do that with me, Dad. Okay, I'm learning, okay? But this is what it means. And when you speak that way, then people will begin to open up. And when you're speaking to a person who's not of faith, that doesn't have a, a walk with Jesus, it's easy to speak with them with almost a condescending judgment away. Be honest. He says, no, 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 no. Speak with grace to these people. Have kindness, compassion, understanding, so that there'll be an inviting attitude when you have a conversation with them. This only happens, I promise you, through prayer. Those fruit of the Spirit that the kids stood up here and quoted out of Galatians, this is a huge part of being able to live and to speak in these ways with love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These things are so key in our relationship to other people and our way we speak to them. But it's not only that we need to be inviting in how we speak, but he also says not only that you should um, speak always with grace, but he says seasoned with salt. It should be impactful. What I say, it should impact your life. That's what salt means because you see salt is number one, it adds flavor. I love salt. I've said that to you numerous times, man, I'm a saltaholic. I am. I love it. I put it on everything. I put it on my fruit. I know you go, ooh, but I love it and it's amazing. Salt on an apple is incredible. Salt on watermelon is fantastic. It's great. We were created to be the salt of the earth. You need to eat more salt, people. That's what I'm saying. But I love salt. Why? Because it adds flavor. And when our conversation is seasoned with salt, what Paul is saying is you're actually adding something to that conversation, to that relationship that's going to bring about an attraction. Are you with me? So if we're in a conversation with non-believers, we can talk about nonsense, but at some point, the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, well, what about this? Why don't you add something to their life? So salt is about adding flavor, but salt is also a preservative. It preserves. And beloved, we are called to preserve the truth of the gospel. So in conversations, we got to be full of grace, but we got to be full of truth. And we got to speak and stand on the truth. Because the truth is the only thing that's ever, hear me, the truth is the only thing that's ever going to set them free. And the truth is Jesus. So in these relationships, as we go about life as ambassadors, we live a life that draws people and attracts people. But we speak what we say to them also draws them into this place where they're like, oh, maybe there is something real about this Jesus. Well, if you say that, then maybe, maybe I need to really think about that. Oh, wow, you're so kind and understanding as we walk together. All these things make a difference. We are ambassadors. Say it with me. We are ambassadors. Come on, say it with me. We are ambassadors. Don't sing it because I can't do that. We are ambassadors. And every day we go into a world that needs to see Jesus out of our life. How we live and what we say impacts. 
It impacts people. Now, I want to close with this, if I can find it. You all should have got one of those. If you do not have one, raise your hand, and my beautiful son, handsome, charming young man, will bring you one. Yes, you will. Right here, they don't have one. Back there, they don't have any. Man, they're everywhere. No one has them. Alexander, you might have to help him. Give me some. Keep your hands up until you get one, because I want you to look at this. So what I've created here is a little bookmark, a little thing you can stick on your fridge, whatever. And as you get it, it's going to be a testimony to the fact that our administrator quit too soon. Because at the very bottom, there's something that's wrong. And if Rod had been here, he would have found it. So I rebuke him in Jesus' name. He should have waited a week before he quit. Or before he retired. He didn't really quit. So as you get it, I'll wait till everyone has one. At the very bottom, undergo with purpose, the last two questions actually say the exact same thing. The last question should say, how can you be more intentional in your conversation with this person? So you can change that yourself if you want, or you can leave it like that, and you just have to be reminded to give me grace, which you're supposed to do, because, Kyle, we need one right here as well, Mike. Um, last one. Look at that. Beautiful. It was meant to be. So I want to I end with just looking at this. And what I want to challenge you to do and, and even compel you to do if I can is to use this as just maybe a bit of a God. Maybe you look at it once a week. Maybe you look at it every day. I don't know. But think about the fact that you're an ambassador of Christ and every day you should go with prayer, you should go with passion, and you should go with purpose as you go about your day. And there's questions there that you can use to look at. Go with prayer. What sphere of influence in your life is God asking you to pray about? Is it your workplace? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your family? But ask God, what, what area, what sphere of my life are you wanting me to begin to pray into? Are there particular people in your everyday life God is asking you to pray for? Are there people in this sphere, God, who don't know you that maybe I need to begin to engage with? That's to go with prayer. Then you go with passion. And I want you to answer this question. How would you define the gospel? Know your answer to the gospel. What does the gospel mean to you? I shared that last week, and that was part of the sermon, and I asked that question, and someone came to me during the week, and they said, oh, I was looking at that word gospel on the screen, and it just hit me that the gospel is God's only son providing eternal life. Using the word gospel, I thought, oh, that was pretty clever. But however it is, as long as it really is the gospel, don't say the gospel is how many brownies they eat every day. That's not the gospel. I mean, it's got to be built on the biblical truth of what the gospel is, but be able to understand it for yourself. How would you define the gospel? And then ask this question to yourself. What hinders or helps you when it comes to presenting the gospel in your everyday life? How you live, how you speak, what keeps you from doing that, and what helps you to do that? And the final thing there you see is go with purpose. And under that, these are the questions that I want you to ask yourself. Is there someone that God is opening a door for you to share the gospel with? It, it might be the person that he's asked you to pray for in the first point. How can you be more intentional in your lifestyle with this person? Then how can you be more intentional with your conversation? Now, this is just a God. If you take it home and throw it away, that's your prerogative, but I rebuke you in Jesus' name. But if you take it and you use it as an opportunity to say, God, I want to be an ambassador of yours. 
I want to really represent you in my everyday life. I love church. I love coming and gathering with other Christians and encouraging and stirring one another on to good works as your word says. I love that. But I know my everyday life, I represent you and how I live and what I say is going to reflect on you. If this helps you with that, then use it. But whatever it takes, beloved, just do it. Because you do represent Christ if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And that isn't a guilt and that isn't a fear. That should be an excitement. You get to represent Jesus. We get to go out there and tell people that they are loved by the creator of all things and the one who died for them. Come on, man. There's nothing greater than that. Amen? I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to invite our team to close us in a song. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be down here. I'm down here as well. I uh, don't know if Mark's still in here or not. Amanda's back there. Well, Amanda's nicked out too, man. Mark's there. If you, if you want a pastor to pray with you, but we, we're not like the end all be all to everything. Anyone in who has a faith can pray with you, but we'll have a prayer team down here to pray with you as well. Um, but we're here available too. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the passion of your gospel. We thank you for the opportunity to represent you. And that is overwhelming Christ in many ways, but it is so exciting. Help us this week to walk through those open doors and live a life and speak in a way that people are going to see you in our life. We love you. Amen.